We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Our speaker today is the senior pastor, Tom Nelson. I'd like you to look at Mark chapter 7 with me. Actually, Mark chapter 8. So find your way there. That's the text we'll be looking at. And then once you find it, go back to Matthew 15. That's the parallel text. And I want to show you the context here. That we're at a massive tectonic shift, a Copernican shift in Jesus' ministry. In Matthew 15, verse 21 through 28, that's what we looked at last week, where we saw one Gentile woman that came to faith. You remember, uh, heal my daughter, it's not good to take the children's bread, Christ to the Jews, and throw it to the dogs. The Cunarion, you remember the house dogs, the puppies. They get to eat, but after the children have eaten. So well, I'm going to you, madam, but first I have to go to the Jews. The gospel goes to the Jew first, then also to the Greeks. And she said, yes, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall under your table. That I'm asking for what the Jewish nation doesn't want. I'd like to cut in line. Instead of waiting for Pentecost, I'd like it now. That's why you're up here in Syrophoenicia and in the Decapolis and in uh, the area of Mount Hermon, Caesarea Philippi. You're away from the nation because they didn't want you. Could I cut in line? I said to you last week, it's the only time Jesus got argued to a standstill by a particular woman. I didn't say anything. All right. And so he said, because of, he said, your faith is great. Be it done to you according to your faith. And then in verse 29 through 31 of Matthew 15, we went from one woman to a bunch of Gentiles. From one Gentile to a bunch of them. You saw in verse uh, uh, 29, he goes to the Decapolis by the Sea of Galilee, a Gentile area. Thirty large crowds gathered, bringing their, their, uh, their sick and those that are crippled and laying them at his feet. Will you do things with these? They don't go and grab him. They don't press about him like happens in uh, the Jewish crowds. They approach stealthily and they lay them at his feet. Will you? And he will. And in verse 30, at the end of it, he healed them. And in 31, the crowd marveled. They had never in their Gentile experience seen anything like this of God among people fixing them. And in verse 31, uh, they saw the crippled restored, the lame walking, the blind seeing. And you have a term at the end of verse 31 that never occurs anywhere else in the Gospels. And it's right here. It says they glorified the God of Israel because this is a Jewish, I mean, a Gentile crowd. And so we went from one Gentile to many Gentiles. And now in verse 32 and following, we will go to all the Gentiles. We're going to have the feeding of a crowd, and it's not a Jewish crowd, it's a Gentile crowd. We're not going to have 12 baskets left over. How many tribes are in Israel? 12. We had 12 baskets for 12 tribes. In this miracle, we're going to have seven large baskets for all of the world. There's 4,000 of these. I think, just myself, it's like the four the four directions, northeast, south, and west. There's 4,000, and we're going to have seven, the number of completeness. 
And so we're going to go from one Gentile to many Gentiles to all the Gentiles. Whenever I do a missions conference, this is my initial text, that you have to see Christ as the worldwide Savior, that he's bigger than me, he's bigger than us, he's bigger than our country and our culture. He is the God of all mankind. And so go back here to the Gospel of Mark in chapter 8. And what this is the training of the twelve. The, Jesus is getting them ready for something they're not quite ready for, that you're going to go to people that normally you will not even eat with, and you're going to them. Can God ever stretch us where we don't want to go? Only always. He's going to get them ready to do something that they're not ready to do, but get used to different. Get used to different. If you had Spock, okay, not Mork and Mindy, but Spock, if you had him do a vulcanized, rational look at something, if he read the Bible, he would say, Captain, Genesis to Deuteronomy is the Jewish law. And then you have the Jewish conquest in Joshua. The Jewish time of judges, the Jewish monarchy, the Jewish sin, the Jewish exile, the Jewish prophets saying what will come. Then you saw the Jewish return to the land. He'd say, Captain, your Old Testament, it's all Jew. And then you see the beginning of this New Testament. It's to Matthew to the Jews. And you see the Messiah come, the, the Messiah rejected. And then all of a sudden, he would say, Captain, we see the book of Acts, chapter 1 through 12. That's all Peter to the Jews, 12 or 13 through 28. It's Paul to the Celts of Galatia, the Greeks of Philippi and Macedonia. You see him to the Asians of Turkey and Ephesus and the like. Then we see him in Rome. Then we see him heading to Spain. And then all of a sudden, he would say, Captain, we go from Jew to look at the next book. Rome, Romans, Corinth, Galatia, Ephesus, Captain. This is the capital of the worship of Diana. And then we see Thessalonica, the worship center of Venus. And then Colossae, Philippi. This is, a, this is a, a military colony. This is Colleen. What? Don't worry about it. All right. This is Philippi, named after Philip of Macedon, father of Alexander the Great. And here we have these pastoral epistles. Timothy is in Ephesus. Titus is in Crete. Uh, I don't understand. And then it's, it's all Gentiles. He would say, Captain, something at this cross happened. That that which was Jewish theology on God of the creation and man in the image of God and family being given of God and government being an extension of this common grace of God and sin and atonement, all of this divinely given theology to the Jews, Captain, all of a sudden, here at this place called Calvary, 
it exploded to the Gentiles. Something happened here. Now, that's what I think Matthew and Mark want us to see, is that Christianity is the exporting of a rejected theology to a people that are desperate of it. Are you with me? Let me beat this horse sufficiently dead here. I went to a, or, or I read one time the work of a particular theologian about missions. And he said, whenever you teach missions, you have to back up and get your crowd's perspective anew. He said, the Bible doesn't begin with Abraham to the Jews. That's chapter 12. You've got 11 chapters of non-Jews. It's worldwide. And he gave about 10 different things. He said, in the creation, you have Adam, the first man of all of the world. And then you have the fall that affected all of the world. And then the flood that consumed all of the world. And then you have the Tower of Babel that went out to the 70 nations that will be the harlot leading astray in religion and politics and morality to all of the nations. And then you have Abraham, who is taken out of it, and in Genesis 12, 3, and in your seed shall the nations be blessed. That's you. That Abraham is not just a, a receiver of truth. He is the custodian of it. That I'm going to raise up a nation and put them in a place, and they're going to be a blessing to the world. And then you see the Jewish rejection, and here comes the Savior, that God so loved the world, he dies for all sin. And there you see now in the New Testament, you go Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the outermost part, because that's the plan of God, is to take the knowledge of the truth given to Israel and export it to the ends of the earth. And that God in Acts 17 has commanded all men to repent and to believe the gospel because he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by him. And upon being rejected by the world, we will now take the church out and we will now have the great tribulation. How much of the earth will go through the great tribulation? All of it. And then the return of Christ where every eye will see him. And he will rule the world as the king of kings. And then we have that last rebellion in Acts, or Revelation chapter 20. And there you have the consuming of the heavens and the earth, and the elements melt with intense heat. And then you have the great white throne judgment. How many of lost mankind will be gathered before God? All of them. And then you have new heavens and new earth where God will be, quote, all in all. And so you got to get your mind right. It's a whole lot bigger than you or me or Israel. It is all of the angelic realm glorying in what God has done and the creation, the loss of, the redemption, and the rebirth of the entire cosmos. And so that's what Christ is trying to hammer into these men. There are four things in the early church that they struggled with. They had to figure out this is not just a great man. 
He's not like Jeremiah, Elijah, or one of the prophets or John the Baptist back to the dead. No, this is the Christ, the son of the living God. What manner of man is this that the winds and the waves obey him? They have to come to grips with that. This is God, my Lord and my God, Thomas says. And then they had to come to grips with Calvary. Jesus said, I'm going to go die and rise from the dead. Peter said, this will never happen to you. Aren't you glad God doesn't answer all prayers? This will never happen to you. Peter couldn't understand. Why do you have to die? Later on, people, Peter will talk about the precious blood as of a lamb and blemish, the blood of Christ. He'll love it. But it took him a little while to understand that this wonderful person must die. And then they had a problem with grace that you could be done with the law and its shadows and all you needed was Christ and the Spirit's rebirth on your heart. They kept trying to want to add circumcision or holy days or something to Christ. They had to come to grips with freedom and grace. And then they had a problem, a real problem, with you. They didn't like you visiting their church. Peter had to be taught by God what God has cleansed no longer call unholy. And so in this vision of all of these unclean things coming down from heaven, rise, kill and eat. Lord, I've never been to Louisiana. You remember what Peter said? I've never seen stuff like this. This is roadkill. No longer call what God has cleansed unholy. Here came three soldiers. Hey, we got to come from a guy named Cornelius. God appeared to him. Peter, you're supposed to come. He came. Here's a whole big mess of Gentiles. Peter went, aha. He said, let's eat. And he ate with the unclean. Jews weren't supposed to eat with Gentiles. So he did. He went back to uh, Jerusalem and they said they stopped him at the gate. We've heard, tell us it's not true, that you ate with Gentiles. Yes, it is. And here's what I saw. Here's the vision. And Peter said, who was I to stand in God's way? And they said, well then, God has granted repentance to the Gentiles. I'll be darned. It's bigger than us. And so the church had to relent. And then Paul goes on his first missionary journey, sees Galatians come to faith. Those on Cyprus come to faith, comes back to Jerusalem, and they stopped him at the gate. You know they have to get circumcised, don't you? How would you like that for an entrance in church membership? Right there? <laughs> we want them circumcised and to keep the law. We, I mean, if they're going to come, that's okay. But they've got to be just like us. No, they don't. And they had the Jerusalem council. And Peter said, then Paul said, then James said, they are saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus, even as we also. That was the first apostles' creed. And so the church had a problem with you walking in the door. And that's what Christ is doing with these men. In our Christian lives, God has plans for us. And he jerks us into them. When you're not ready, he's going to make you trust him. And so they culturally, theologically, socially, are having to bend where they've never had to bend before. Get used to different. Okay? Well, here in chapter 8, let's take a look at this. In this miracle, 
In verse 1, there's a large crowd. They had nothing to eat. Jesus called them together. I feel compassion for the people. And this is a Gentile crowd. They've remained three days and have nothing to eat. Make a note. Never in the Gospels do we see that hunger for God from the Jewish crowd. Here we see it. Would you go someplace to watch a man talk, minister, and heal for three days with nothing to eat? In our church, if I go over 12, people start shaking their car keys right here. Ha, ha, okay. Now, he said, these guys have never seen anything like this. They have gods that don't speak, don't move, don't talk, don't feel. This is a God who is the living God who has come down to where they are, and they don't want to leave. And so, in verse 3, if I send them away hungry to their homes, they'll faint on the way. And some have come a great distance. Just the rumor that the God of heaven was among men. Everybody had to show up. And in verse 4, the disciples answered, where will anyone be able to find enough bread in this desolate place? I think that is a symbolic reference to all the Gentile world. That's where they were. This is not the land of milk and honey we are in. It is a desolate place. And that's the world without God. Amen. That is life without God. It is a desolation. And so, where are we going to find bread? Why didn't they say this? You know, you fed 5,000 with five loaves, two fish. Heck, we can nail that easy right here. They didn't say that. Why? Because that would mean that God would treat the Gentiles just like he treated the Jews. Nobody volunteered that information because that obviously is not going to happen. We have a custom that goes back 1,500 years. It goes back to Moses of clean and unclean. No, no, you're not going to do them like you do us. Well, Jesus in verse 5, how many loaves do you have? Seven. Earlier, we took... The, the lunch of a little kid out of the mouths of babes. Now, Jesus says, I don't want a little kid. Well, where are we going to get it? I'm going to take your lunch. I want what the Jews have, and I'm going to give it to the Gentiles. Did that happen in the book of Acts? I'm going to take the Savior of the Jews, and I'm going to give him to Cornelius. And then I'm going to give him to the Samaritans. And then we're going to go to the Galatians. And then we're going to go to the Greeks. Then we're going to go to the Asians. Then we're going to go to the Romans. I'm going to spread it out. So, so Jews, I want what you have, and I'm going to give it away. Well, he directed the people to sit on the ground. The Apostle Paul said in the book of Galatians chapter 2, he that effectually worked for Peter in his apostleship to the Jews effectually worked for me also to the Gentiles. God is going to work on both areas right here. And, it, and the miracle is going to be identical. And it's meant to be identical because it's the same God. He is no respecter of persons. And so in verse 6, 
He starts giving to the disciples to serve to them, and they serve to the people. You take what I give you, and you give it away. Then you come back to me, and I'll do the miracle. No one will see me. They'll only see you. But I'm going to be the one doing it through you. Does that sound like ministry? I'll do it. You give what you have, and then you come back to me, and I'll give you some more. And so in verse 7, they also had a few small, a few small fish. Seven plus three, that's ten, the number of fullness. And after he had blessed them, he ordered these to be served as well. Some have seen this as a symbol right here. You have ten commandments, the law of God. You have ten elements of life. That is the... Uh, God hath commanded men everywhere to repent. This is the law of the gospel. And so they go out with this ten. And in verse 8, they ate and were satisfied. What does a Jew never do with a Gentile? He never eats. I'm going to make you men serve 4,000 of them. So have we done a cultural stretch on these men? Yes, we have. I think I've told you the story once when I was working at a uh, place here in Denton when I was a young guy, just 20, I guess I was 23. And uh, there was a guy that worked there on the dock. We called him 99 because he only weighed 99 pounds. And uh, he was talking about this girl that he had gotten pregnant and they had a child. And he was sitting there smoking this cigarette. And he said, yeah. He said, he got sick. He said, I let the little SOB die. And we were all sitting on that dock. And I turned. And one of the guys there said, you did what? He said, I let the little SOB die. And he said, why? He said, $1,500 insurance. And we all just sat there. And then after a while, the conversation meandered around to the gospel. And I turned to share the gospel with this fellow. And I remember the sense of revulsion. What would I do if this guy trusted Christ? He would now be my brother. I had no problem with God saving me. I mean, you know. He had to make, you know, Elijah, Moses, Tom. Maybe we had to have them all together, I said. <laughs> but not this guy. But, I, it, you know, the thought went through my mind. Thy blood can make the foulest clean. Paul, the chief of sinners. Can God forgive this guy? Can he? Yes. And I shared with him. But God took me where I didn't want to go, right there. Kind of like going to a cross. And so that's what these guys are having to do. They're getting stretched because that's the ministry. And well, they picked up in verse 8 what was left over. Uh, it says they picked up full of what was left over of broken pieces. It's broken pieces because you eat until you can eat no more. He did to the Jews the same as he does to the Gentiles. Are we glad? That's us. And so 
and verse, now you realize as you're looking at this text, these are your spiritual ancestors. Y'all know that, don't you? The people we're looking at. They precede you. They're anti. They're before you. This is where you come from. Like I said, we're going to start a church. We're going to call it the kennel. Okay. Because it's going to be for the dogs. And here in verse 9, 4,000 were there and he sent them away. Wow. Now immediately he entered the boat with his disciples and came to the district of Dalmanutha. And the Pharisees came out and began to argue. They're not with him. They don't rejoice of what he's doing. They just want to argue. And they seek from him a sign from heaven. Feeding the multitudes, not enough. Raising men from the dead, not enough. We want you to make the sun go backwards or something. And Jesus sighing deeply in his spirit. You can just see the frustration. <sighs> Josh McDowell used to say, you can find Christ in heaven. He'll be the one with the sloped forehead from doing this. No sign will be given to this generation. That's all. I've done signs with you. Light rejected is light removed. No more. That's all. You said I did my miracles by the power of the devil, and you have been executed. The gospel has been withdrawn, and it's been given to the Gentiles. Isn't that sad? It has been. And uh, we know from the gospel of Matthew, Jesus said another statement that doesn't occur in Mark. He said, no sign will be given you except for the sign of Jonah the prophet. For as Jonah spent three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the earth. He said, the next sign you will be given is the death and resurrection of the Jewish Messiah. And Jonah came back from the dead, and he came to the land, and he pronounced to them, you got 40 days to repent, and judgment's coming. And that's going to be the next time you sign you're going to see, is you're going to kill me, and I'm going to rise, and then I'm going to pronounce the coming of judgment. And so... It's like KHVN Radio, K-Heaven has signed off. Beep. That's all. No more. I'm now going to the Gentiles. And so in verse 13, ominous words. What are the first two words of verse 13? Leaving them. That's all. He again embarked and went to the other side. In verse 14, Let's look at your new training of the 12 lesson that you're going to get. The last one was world missions. Now in verse 14, they had forgotten to take bread. They did not have more than one loaf in the boat with them. So their conversation is about their physical life. Would you say this tends to be our preoccupation? My money I'm so happy right now. I'm 70. Y'all ever heard of Social Security? I get like $3,500 for doing nothing. I'm so happy. My wife gets like $1,500 because I do nothing. I'm in heaven. I got all this money. I'm so happy. They, is it true they tax it? All right. And so, we tend to camp on our physical lives. Our health, our income, where we live, our food, 
our vaccines, our whatever, we tend to focus right on this world. Verse 15, he gave orders to them saying, boys, I'm not worried about your physical bread. I can take care of that. Life is a lot deeper than staying alive physically. Amen? My concern is not your belly. I can feed thousands with a little bit. My concern is your heart. Because if you're going to be the leader of a new movement, if you're going to take the place of the guys in verse 11 and verse 12 that I have just fired, you're going to have to have a reform back to an old standard of David, a man after God's own heart. I've got to get your heart. And so I'm not concerned about the amount of bread that you don't have. I'm concerned about the little leaven that you might have. Leaven in the Old Testament and the New Testament is a picture often of sin because leaven is alive. It's a bacteria. You put it in your bread, it's yeast, and it makes it rise. And you cut it, you put some butter on it, put some honey, all baby, all right? It's great. Uh, you ever eat unleavened bread? It's like eating a shingle, all right? It doesn't rise. You just fry it up, and it's flat as a fritter, all right? You break it off, you eat it. Unleavened bread rises. Leaven is what you got in Egypt, and you, they brought it with them. And every year after Passover, they had a week of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It's a feast, but you can't bring your old life. We have communion. Paul said, let us celebrate the feast, not with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. We're going to have a feast with God, communion, the Lord's Supper. Don't bring your past into this. Leave it at the door. Check your ego at the door before you come in here. And so, same way with us. God wants our heart. Let me ask you, and preoccupation. How many of you went to college and down at the University of Texas and had classes on holiness? Anybody major in the holiness program? At the, Steve, I believe you went in the holiness program. Yeah. Anybody go to SMU and major in eternal perspectives? Anybody go to TCU and major in uh, the divine role of the husband and the wife as a submissive creature? No, you didn't. You know why? God love them. They're not paid to do that, and they don't care. Their job is to help you make a living, not to make a life. Can you learn all that college has to teach you and ruin your life? Yes, you can. Can you have only the knowledge of the Bible and do quite okay? Yes, you can. I remember often Steve, Jim McDonald would be teaching in finance on how to handle money. He was an elder of our church. And he would teach alone to all these students that are listening, learning, getting their degree in finance. And then he would stop around and he'd go, incidentally, you know that ultimately this doesn't matter to a hill of beans. Let's go back at it. Right. <laughs> and he would say to them, unless you can make moral decisions independently about how to love people and get along with people, all this stuff is a waste of your time. Okay. I remember Dr. Lott at North Texas in, my, in uh, anatomy and physiology. He would teach alone and he would say, Students, I can tell you of how anything in the human body works. 
I can't tell you why anything works. He said, for that, you're going to have to go to Sunday school. He understood. And so that's kind of the way we are. We are very, very preoccupied with clothing, where we live, what we're going to eat. What did Adam have in the garden? Did he have clothing? No. Ran around naked. Don't you try it. All right. No, he didn't have any clothing. Did he have to have food? God provided him food. Uh, did he have a house? He didn't have a house. What did he have? He walked with God in the cool of the day. He did not eat of the tree of independence, but of the tree of life, of dependence daily upon God. Is that a good lesson? That's where your strength has to be. When you're raising your kid, make sure they understand that all this stuff you're going to do with them is going to help them make a living, to have a life. You better follow mom and daddy's teaching about God. Commandments one through four are about God. Commandments six through 10 are about other men and life. God, men. Right in the middle is commandment five. And that's the only commandment that's given to children. Children, honor the person that's going to teach you about God and about life. Honor your father and mother. That's the first commandment with a promise that it might be well with you and you live long upon the earth. You get off about God and you're in a world of hurt. And so you parents teach your children well. And so he gave orders. And in verse 16, let's see if they really heeded what he said about don't bring leaven into your life. They began to discuss with one another the fact they had no bread. Do they sound stupid? It's because they are. Do you know why they're stupid? Because we're stupid. That's the way we do. I would like to talk to you about, about your heart and holiness and consecration to God. Yeah, great. Are you done? Because I want to talk about paying my bills. That's kind of the way we are. Whenever you have a prayer group, a lot of times you have to make a rule that we're only going to share prayer requests for five minutes because Christians will start talking about their washing machine if you don't stop them and get them to raise their sights. That's why church is so important. You raise your sights. And so they get right back with it, their major concern. And Jesus, aware of this, said, and again, we have a sloped forehead right here. Boys, stop the boat. Stop the boat. Everybody, take a knee right here. Let me tell you something. Verse 17, why do you discuss the fact you have no bread? Don't you yet see or understand? Do you have a hardened heart? Are you no different than these Pharisees? Verse 18, having eyes, do you not see? Do you not have any spiritual insight? Having ears, don't you hear? Don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many baskets full of broken pieces? Did you, how many baskets of bread that these guys could not eat another mouthful? How many did you have? Uh, 12? Yeah. 
And when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many, not baskets, how many laundry baskets did you have? Large baskets. Uh, seven. And he was saying to them, do you not yet understand? And I think he just looked at him and went, hmm? <laughs> have you figured it out, boys? I can take care of your carcass. No problem. You're going to have a problem with square footage, having to mow laundry space. How many of you have a garage you can't get into? Because you got so much junk. All right. You're going to, how many of you rent storage because you, got, you can't get it into your garage? How many of you are desperately trying to just gain some weight? <laughs> because you're just wasting away. Look around. We thicken like a ballpark, Frank. You know. We got more stuff than we can get rid of. Haven't you figured out? I'm trying to get you to get pietistic on me. You and God have to make sure. See, leaven is always in secret. You can't see leaven. You put it down in your bread, let it rise. Leaven is stuff that nobody can see. Like I've said, I've had four kids going through my Young Guns program. They're in prison right now for stuff they started doing in the dark, and it came out. And they got taught the truth. They could recite the truth while they were doing the false. Do you not yet understand? It's called priorities. Get your heart right. How do you get your heart right? If you've got something in your heart that shouldn't be right, you leave church, you go out in the woods, take your Bible, and you read, and don't you leave till you get it dealt with. It ain't that hard. It just, you have to, like God said to Abraham, to walk before God, to walk before him. Uh, you know, back years ago at Denton Bible, uh, well, I'd, there was a girl that was in our college department at Asbury Methodist where I used to teach. And uh, she went through us, went through there with us in the 70s when Denton Bible began. She came with us. Her name was Julie. She's up in Idaho. Dear girl, she left, went and got married. She was a nurse. And she had a boy named Andrew, called him Andy, after uh, Andrew, who was the guy who wrote the book on prayer? Andrew Murray. He, she named him after Andrew Murray. Andy. Had great dreams for him. Her and her husband praying for this boy. The boy got some leaven in him when he got to be, I mean, he was one of these kids. And then he got some leaven. Can that ever happen? Yeah. When they don't make it their faith. And he got leaven in him. And started drinking, doing drugs. And doing it with people that drank and did drugs. And Julie said to him, said, Andy, those guys mean you no good. The companion of fools will suffer harm. You better stay here. He said, it's my life. Slammed the door and left. And he and his buddies went out drinking, he and two others, and they drank it up, spent it. And then they needed some money. 
And Andy said, you know, there's an old man lives in this double wide over here and he keeps all his money in cash, puts it in a Folgers can. And I'm pretty sure we can get some money off of him. He ain't that sharp. We'll talk him out. So they went over there and got to pressing this guy for his money. And that old man was sharper than I thought he was. He saw what was happening and he got mad. And then he got violent. That old guy started swinging on him. And apparently he was a lot tougher than they thought. And Andrew pulls a knife and trying to keep the man off, he poked him and he hit an artery and he passed out and he went to the hospital and he died. What do you think his two good buddies did? They flipped. They said, he took us in there. It was his idea. He started it with this old man. He stuck him with a knife. They gave them probation. Andy, at eight, he turned 18 in a maximum security prison doing life in Idaho. And uh, I contacted him. And uh, he was a lot more amenable to the Bible now. He went in at eight, almost 18. They finally, he got out, I found out, last week. He's now 43. He kissed away 18, 19, his 20s, his 30s, and now he's into middle life, and now he sees the sun for the first time. Leaven. That's what it was. It was leaven. If he could have had back that one, here God put in front of him the blinking light of his mother, and he just kept on walking. Can that ever happen? Leaven. David. Don't be looking over there at the house next to you when that woman's bathing on the veranda. David, don't be sending a messenger to ask her name. You got wives. David, it's Uriah, your servant's wife. Let her be. Don't bring her over to the house. Don't do it. He did it. That's what happened. She's pregnant. That's what happens when you do this. What are you going to do now? I think I'll get him killed. Another bad decision. And God watches. Solomon, you asked for wisdom. You've got it. What are you doing marrying Pharaoh's daughter? You don't take a Gentile wife. You don't go to Egypt to multiply gold, silver, or wives, or horses. What are you doing down there? You're compromising. There's leaven, and it's growing. I mean, how many wives do you want? What? 700? That's two a day for a year. All right. Are you sure? Are they all believing Jews? No. What are you going to do now? I'll make them some places of pagan worship and they will turn your heart away. The day outside of Jerusalem, there's a hill that is called the hill of shame where they put those altars to pagan wives. And they turned his heart away and he lost 90% of his kingdom. Samson, you've got the best parents of the Old Testament. The spirit has descended on you. You've got a chance to lead Israel back from the dark. Leave that Philistine girl alone. Are you with me, Samson? She looks good to me. 
That's a good reason right there. She looks good. Don't do it. He did it. You're going to get married. We're going to have a, a crossing of religions here. God blew it up in his face. What did he do then? He went to Gaza uh, or Gath going into a harlot, a hooker. Don't do it. He pulled the uh, doors off the hinges, walked them 38 miles and put them up on a mountain. He was too tough to capture. You liked a girl, you lusted for a girl. Who you got now, Samson? Delilah? Don't you do it. He loved Delilah. Don't be putting your head in her lap. That's going to take you nowhere. Did God deal with his pride? Did he deal with his wandering eyes? We got him put out. Did we deal with his wandering feet? Yeah. We strapped him to a beam. And his pride, we made him grind like an animal and laughed at him. And so we got him where he could pray. Lord, strengthen me just this once. And so you and I have to deal with our hearts. It has to be a very personal thing to say like David, search me, O God, and see if there be in me any harmful way, any anxious thought. Search me. You want a great verse? Let the righteous smite me in kindness. Let not my head refuse it. It's like oil upon my head. You ever had anybody do that with you? Hey, could I say something to you for just a second? Oh, no. Here it comes. But David said, I've got to watch my heart, for from it come the issues of life. Whew. I'm ready to quit. We need a hymn sung by that great hymn writer, Merle Haggard. <laughs> who in here has no idea who Merle Haggard is? Right? Okay. But you want to grow spiritually. You know Augustus' top lady, Charles Wesley, but you don't know Merle Haggard. See if this sounds familiar. One and only rebel child From a family meek and mild Mama seemed to know just what lay in store Despite all my Sunday learning Toward the bad I kept on turning Till Mama couldn't hold me anymore I turned 21 in prison, doing life without parole. No one could steer me right, but Mama tried, Mama tried, Mama tried to raise me better, but her pleading I denied, leaving only me to blame, because Mama tried. High school kids, where are you? Okay. Amen? Deal with your heart right here. Thank you. Thank you very much. Father in heaven, this is such an easy text. doesn't demand a lot of theology. But it's in front of us. If we're going to lead, if we're going to do what God has called us to do, before we go reaching out, we're going to have to look inward. Just like communion tells us to do. Examine yourself. Celebrate the feast, not with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. 
wash your feet if you're going to eat with me. You'll not wash my feet, then you'll not eat with me. Wash my head, my hands. He that is clean doesn't have to take a bath, but you got to wash your feet. Whenever you come in to eat with me, you got to wipe your feet at the door. You don't bring what's outside inside. What heaven binds and looses, you don't bring in. That we live with a standard. And it's not the world's standard. It is before the eyes of the Almighty God. And so, Lord, help me just pastor at this church with my heart. Help all of us to stay on top of it. That we can all go to bed every night, not worrying about the taxes we didn't pay, about the money that we embezzled, about the inappropriateness of somebody we related to, about a lie we told and hoping it won't get back. But Father, we would walk before you with a clean heart. And Lord, we'll ask all of this through Christ our Lord. Amen.